So we are continuing in our series, What Revelation Reveals, and we are within that series. We're in uh, the second part of what we looked at last week, started last week, the throne room of heaven, the throne room of heaven. We started that glimpse last week, and so we are in the throne room of heaven part two today, and we'll be looking at Revelation chapter five. So I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Revelation 5 or bring up your Bible app if you have that digitally. Let's all uh, get literally on the same page with Revelation 5. That's where we're going to be. And as we jump into this chapter and continue to look with John at this great and glorious throne room of heaven, uh, we're going to see two major divisions in what John continued to experience there before God's throne. We looked last week in Revelation 4, and he saw an incredible display, uh, what no eye can see and even understand and comprehend if it does. He saw the glorious throne of God the Father, and he saw that God the Father was seated on that throne, that for all of eternity, the throne in heaven is occupied. It's not empty. And that gives us great hope and great encouragement and great courage to go through life knowing that no matter what the chaos on earth is, in heaven there is a throne occupied by the great and glorious God. And he saw that and all these reflections of light and this emerald rainbow and he saw the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. He saw that last week. And as he continues to experience what is before God's throne, as it continues to be recorded in Revelation 5, there's two major divisions. First, there's a scroll. And it's a scroll with seven seals. The seven-sealed scroll. Then there's the lion. And that's mentioned. He doesn't actually see the lion, but the lion is mentioned. And then the lamb. And that is seen. So you have the seven-sealed scroll, you have the lion and the lamb. Those are the things that make up the first half of John's continued vision, and he recorded it in detail in verses 1 through 7. So that's where we're going to start, verses 1 through 7 of Revelation 5. Let's jump in together. John writes what he sees, and he says this, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, that's referencing God the Father, a scroll with writing on both sides, which is unique. That wasn't usually done. Sometimes it was if it was a really important document. That's certainly true of this. It's a very, very important scroll, very important document. But the fact that it has writing on both sides, that shows us that this is a complete, a complete document. Nothing's left out. Perfect revelation. All the information that's needed to be contained is. So he sees this scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. That's very important, that detail. This was how all important documents were done, especially wills, last wills and testament. And particularly if it was someone important. Think of, think of an emperor, think Nero or someone like that. Whenever they would write out their will for what they wanted to see happen after they were gone, they sealed every part, each 
section of that will was sealed with its own seal. And only the one designated to execute or carry out this will could open it. No one else had any authorization. It was designated for one unique person to unfold and then carry out all that was contained within that great will. Verse 2, I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Remember, only one specific individual could do that. And so you see this this investigation, this search, this exploration going out all over creation, all over the universe. Let's find the one who can do this. There's this incredible, all-important seven-sealed scroll. We need to open it. Who can do that? Let's, let's look. Who can do it? Who's able? And the result of that, verse 3, but no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. This kind of does, in my mind, a connection with like a, uh, a sword in the stone kind of thing with King Arthur. You know that legend where for, to, to determine the next king of Britain, uh, there was this sword sealed in this anvil on top of a stone on top of a cathedral And all these people came, worthy people, champions, knights, nobles, to to show that they were able to be the next king. And so they took their turn at, at putting their foot on that stone and grabbing that sword and pulling with all their might. But nobody could do it. The sword wouldn't budge. And then after exhausting every possible person, then finally this scrawny little adopted orphan comes up at the request of Merlin, his tutor and overseer, and he says, now it's your turn. So Arthur steps up, timid, with shaking hands, and he puts his hands on that sword, and even though he's weak, with just a little bit of a pull, the sword comes right out, and there's Britain's next king, King Arthur. And I I just, I see that connection here. That example is infinitely smaller than what we're talking about here, but but I just, that helps me kind of get a feel for what is going on in this vision, the magnitude, the seriousness of it. Verse 4, John's reaction to no one being found to open this scroll or even to look in it, because he knows, he sees that if it's in the right hand of God the Father, seating enthroned over all the universe, and if, if all the the timing of the visions are culminating the way they are, and if the promise given to him at the beginning of the revelation was still going to hold true, that he was going to see all the things that were to come, he starts to understand this scroll is necessary. Before anything else can happen, this scroll has to be opened. All that's within it has to be revealed. This contains the will of the one on the throne. And for anything else to transpire, for all to go the direction that it needs to go, this has got to be open. And if there's no one to do that, he just despairs. And we see his response, verse 4, I wept and wept 
because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. And John is not the only one who weeps at this delay in seeing everything transpiring the way it's supposed to transpire, to to see all of creation coming down to this final necessary point where redemption is possible. Paul says in Romans 8 that all of creation groans with eager expectation for all that God plans to be revealed, for the redemption of everything. Don't you groan with that? Don't you feel that, Christian? Oh, don't you cry in your heart? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring about all that is promised, all that is sure to happen. Let it be today. Aren't you tired of the way things are? I am. It would be absolutely fine with me if I didn't finish this message. So you feel the the weight of the expectation. You feel the weight of that hope, the hope of glory. And John was promised that he was going to see all that happen, and now it's like there's a great pause on all that. And there's no one to change it. So he weeps and he weeps. But wait, there's more. Verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, which is a prophesied messianic title of the Lord Jesus, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And by opening them, he will carry out the culmination of all the Father's plans and will. That's a great hallelujah moment. Because as, as Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering one, as he opens these scrolls one by one, he's going to carry out the perfect sovereign will of the Father and bring about all that is decreed and ordered to to transpire and to happen. So you see, don't you just see John's countenance lift? Don't you just join with him and and feel the, the weight and that heaviness of your heart and the despair at seeing no one being able to open the scrolls? Don't you just see all that lift? Don't you feel that triumph and that hope returning? And he's looking. He's looking for this great lion. Think, think Aslan in Narnia. This great majestic lion. He's looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah to come. But, verse 6, look at what he saw instead. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. You didn't see the lion of the tribe of Judah that was referenced and talked about as the conquering one, the one worthy saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures. Those are the seraphim. We saw them last chapter, chapter 4. The ones that cried, holy, holy, holy. And among the elders, 
standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, one like a slaughtered lamb. Church, this, this shows us and, and, and it teaches us just this brief but powerful, packed statement shows us that the sacrifice of God the Son is always fresh to God the Father. It's always fresh. See, remember, God is outside and above time. So all of time, all the events of history and time play out like a a reel before him, like a slideshow. And so even though Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, God the Father always sees the sacrifice of His Son before Him. And it's because of that that God the Father is able to look at us and see the cross of His Son over our sin because the sacrifice of His Son is always fresh. And so, before the Father, Jesus is, as it were, always like a slaughtered lamb because he sees that connection all the time. And aren't you glad he does? Aren't you glad that he sees forever the connection of not your sin and you, but of your Savior and you? That's what he sees because the sacrifice of Jesus is always fresh. And then John describes for us what he sees as he looks at this slaughtered lamb, the Lamb of God. It says, he had seven horns, which speaks to and shows his omnipotence, his great might, and seven eyes, that shows us his omniscience, his all-seeing aspect, which are the seven spirits of God, and just like we've seen a couple times throughout this revelation, that's literally the sevenfold Spirit of God. That's referencing the Holy Spirit. So just like in the last chapter and all throughout this revelation already, we see the Trinity on full display. God the Father on the throne. God the Son speaking to John saying, come up here. He raised his Spirit up and showed him all this. And he's standing at the right hand of the Father. And now he's here as the Lamb. And there's the Holy Spirit there as well. The seven spirits of God connected to the seven eyes of Christ because the Holy Spirit is not just the Spirit of God the Father, but He's also the Spirit of Christ. And these seven spirits were the sevenfold Spirit of God. They're sent into all the earth, roaming the earth to and fro, seeing everything that happens, piercing down to our very soul. Nothing is hidden before His sight, remember? And as John sees this, this majestic, beautiful, convicting, and disturbing image, I can't help but be there with him, as it were, and just see in his mind all, the, the, these, all these connections. And I think, I think he went back to knowing and remembering what John the baptizer said as Jesus began his public ministry when John looked at his followers and his disciples and his crowd and he pointed to Jesus and he said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away, lifts up and removes 
the sins of the world. And certainly there's that connection. As John sees this great Lamb before him, the Lamb of God who did take away the sin of the world. He took it, he lifted it off, he put it on himself, he carried it away and he carried it to the cross. And he exchanged for our sin his righteousness. And so in this this great scene here at the throne, John hears about the lion and he sees the lamb. And that shows us, and it says to us, it shouts that Jesus is the Almighty Savior, which is the mighty conquering lion. He is that lion and the all-sufficient sacrifice, which is the humble, obedient lamb. He's both. He's both. And he needs to be both. And aren't you thrilled? Aren't you grateful that he is both? That he is the conquering lamb that conquered sin and death for you, but that he is also the all-sufficient sacrifice, able to take your sin. That's who your Savior is. That's who John saw. That's who he always is, always will be. And then verse 7. This Lamb of God. He went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Remember, no one else in heaven, no one on earth or under the earth, no one was found worthy to take and open the scroll or even look in it. But here, at last, here is the worthy one. And he, the mighty conquering lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the Lamb of God, the humble, obedient Lamb, went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Only one who is worthy, only one who is equal to God could do that. In John 5.22, we read Jesus stating, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's why, church, Jesus, the conquering lamb and the, excuse me, the conquering lion and the obedient lamb, that's why he was able to go up and take the scroll out of the right hand because he is the one designated to be the judge and the executor and the one that carries out all that the Father plans and wills. All the judgment of God, that divine, necessary, holy, perfect judgment that is going to come, that each seal will start the ability to have happen. It'll start the the work and the action. He's the one that's able to do that because He is the judge of all the earth. And that's what John sees there in the first part of this incredible vision there at the throne of God. Here's the second part. The second part we see worship of the worthy one. Worship of the worthy one. Verses 8 to 14. So all that's happened, all that's transpired, and and you just see heaven breathless with wonder and anticipation as they see this scene unfolding. And John there with them, just breathless in awe and wonder. At what just happened? Finally, the the scroll has been taken. The scroll has been received. 
The scroll is in the hands of the son, the lion and the lamb. And here's what happens next. Verse 8. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures, again, the seraphim, with eyes all over them, the six wings, and the 24 elders, which we looked at last week and said represents the church, the redeemed and rescued saints, they fell down before the Lamb, just like they had fallen down before the Father last week, which shows that the Son is equal in every way to the Father and worthy in every way of all the same honor and worship and praise. They fell down before the Lamb, and each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Church, as you pray, when you pray, your prayer goes up to the throne of God as sweet-smelling incense as a sacrifice. Don't ever underestimate your prayer, and don't neglect it. God cherishes it. And he accepts it and he receives it. And verse 9 tells us this, and they sang a new song. And, and we get the privilege of having this song recorded for us. Here's what the song was. Man, don't you wonder what it actually sounded like? I say, don't you wonder what it actually sounded like? <laughs> okay, good, you're still awake. You don't have to wonder forever. One day we'll hear it. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slaughtered. You were slaughtered. And you purchased people. That's paid the ransom. Paid the ransom for our slavery and sin. You purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Not just this one little group of people. Not just this one tiny little church. Not just this one specific type of individual. Every tribe and language and people and nation. My friends, we better... We better like each other a little bit more. We better love each other a lot more. We better have a heart for people. You know why? Because we're going to be together for a very, very long time. <laughs> Verse 10, the song continues. You made them, these, these purchased people that were hopeless and helpless in slavery to sin, all of us, He purchased those people by His blood for His Father and He made them, He made us a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. Oh, Christian, that's your story. That's your song. Jesus takes the unworthy and makes them royalty. Hallelujah for that, right? That's you. That's me. Jesus takes the unworthy. That's all of us. And He makes them royalty in the kingdom of heaven. That's your identity. <laughs> That's your name if you're in Christ. It's not who you were 
who you used to be, what you used to be known by, and don't ever, ever let the enemy lie to you and whisper to you the false identity that he tries to. Don't ever take it and receive it. No, remember that in Christ, your identity is a member of the royal family of God. Verse 11. The song, that new song, stopped. Verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. In verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, all of which were unworthy, remember, to open the scroll or even look in it. Now, because of that worthy one, they join in. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the, seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. In verse 14, the four living creatures said, Amen. May it be. May it be. Indeed. And the elders fell down and worshipped. If that doesn't get you fired up, then your wood is really wet. What a scene. What a scene. What a display. This glimpse into heaven, this this peeling back of the curtain of our reality and seeing what's going on in heaven. And that shows us something. It tells us something. That heaven is full of unworthy people praising the one that made them worthy to be there. That's what heaven's full of. That's the never ending soundtrack. Of heaven. It's the songs and the shouts that ring out through every corner of the halls of heaven. But, all oh, church, let's not wait until heaven to join in. Amen? Let, let's, let's join in right now. Let's, let's make every fiber of our being about that. Let's join in with our hearts and our minds and our souls. Let's lift more than our voices. Let's lift our lives as a never-ending praise song, joining in with that praise song in heaven. Sound good to you? That's what John sees. That's what he takes in. That's what he soaks up. And I, it's not recorded here, but I can't help but think he joined in to the song himself and just started singing and shouting and praising. I mean, how could he not after seeing that? And aren't you glad that whether or not you can sing right now, you'll be able to sing then? It won't matter. I mean, be careful. You might be sitting next to a neighbor and saying amen a little bit too much, and they might take that personally. But whether you like to sing or not, you're going to be singing then. We're going to be singing right along with this 
This very group of individuals, these thousands upon thousands and thousands, and these angels and these elders, we're going to be joining in with them and singing because what John saw, remember, was what was to come. It was the future. He saw the gathered church right there with all the court of heaven. That means he saw, if you're in Christ right now, he saw you there too. It's an assured reality. We just haven't caught up to it yet. So those are the two parts of this vision of the throne room of heaven that John was caught up to at the very word of Jesus. He saw all of this. The scroll is now in the hands of the worthy one. It's getting ready to be opened. Now the board the board is set. And the pieces begin to move. And that's what we're going to see as we go forward in this great, great study of this great revelation. We're going to see a seal opened, the ribbon unwound, and we're going to see the corresponding events here on earth, the events of divine judgment that relate to each seal being opened. That's what's in store. Would you pray with me? What a thing we read just now, God. What a thing we were able to see. What a thing John, the beloved disciple, saw. As he remembers, when he sees this Lamb of God, he remembers what John the baptizer said, and he recorded in his own gospel. Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And certainly he was reminded of his own personal benefit of that. That the Lamb of God was not just the Lamb of God, it was his personal Passover Lamb. Father, may we be reminded of that as well today as we have seen this and read this. Thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus, that he is worthy. Not just of all glory and honor and praise, but that he was worthy to take the scroll out of your hand and to open the scroll, every seal, and to usher in and bring about every aspect of your perfect will and all the culmination of of the history of mankind and of the earth, all the culmination of your plan coming down to these final these final scenes and times that the rest of this book of Revelation reveals and shows. All the things that must take place after this. And it shows us that you are indeed on the throne and reigning and ruling and ordering and orchestrating. And that is incredibly encouraging to us. Because we don't see a lot of order and orchestration here, now. But we know despite that, you are in control. Thank you for this incredible display of worship and praise, shouts and singing and glory and goodness. And thank you that that is an assured reality which we, though we are forever unworthy, 
we will be able to forever participate because of the one that made us worthy to be there. And so help us to to join in and start singing this eternal praise song now, not just with our lips, but with our lives. To your glory and to that of the Lamb. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.